0: You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best-informed, most-read website focusing on the green energy transition, and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment, and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to the Switched On Australia podcast. My name is Anne Delaney. Thanks for joining me. One of the big issues we face on the journey to an all-electric future is the cost of transitioning for consumers, businesses and for governments. For consumers, modern efficient electric machines and appliances like electric vehicles and heat pumps often cost more upfront than their fossil fuel alternatives and not everyone can afford them. But as my guest today explains, when we look at the cost of running these appliances over their entire lifetime, things look very different. Craig Memory is the Senior Advisor on Energy for the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, (PIAC), which is an independent non-profit organisation that works with people and communities facing disadvantage. I started my discussion with Craig by asking him why he thinks electrification is so important.
1: Yeah, look, it really comes down to two things. It's its emissions and it's cost. From a climate change perspective, uh, gas as a fossil fuel can't really be decarbonised effectively. There are small things that can be done to take a, a f- bit of the emissions intensity out of it, but at the end of the day, it's an emissions-intensive fossil fuel. Electricity, on the other hand, can be decarbonised. It's being decarbonised now, and there are plans to end up at net zero, uh, where electricity is expected to be, zero carbon or close to it and expected to potentially do some of the heavy lifting for for decarbonising the broader economy. From a cost perspective, what we've seen is electric appliances that do the same things as gas appliances have become much more efficient, they've become much cheaper and they're much cheaper to run. So from a cost perspective as well, uh, to different degrees in different places, it makes sense to replace existing gas appliances with electric appliances and it doesn't make sense to install uh, and connect new homes to the gas network from an economic perspective. And the Climate Council's recent report, Switch
0: and Save, showed households in all capital cities can save between $500 and $1,900 a year if they go all electric. But Craig, you compared the cost of using gas with electricity in the home a decade ago and showed back then that it was more economical to run appliances with electricity rather than gas. So this shouldn't really be debated any longer,
1: should it? I've been working on this now for uh, for over 10 years. I used to be with the Alternative Technology Association, now known as Renew, and we did the first bit of analysis that actually compared the economics of um, of uh, electric and gas fuel use in the home. And it concluded pretty clearly that for most loads in most places, people were best off replacing their next failed gas appliance with an electric one economically. And that, that has been, although that goes against the conventional wisdom, which is that gas is cheap and clean, um, it, it's only so long that the conventional wisdom catches up with the facts And what we're seeing is more and more people making those decisions at the point that they're relevant to use gas instead of electricity. They're, They're making that decision when or before their appliance fails. They're making it at the time that they're renovating or building a new home and they're making decisions to not necessarily connect to the gas network in the first place or to plan to get off gas either altogether or at least take one or two appliances that are currently using gas. So absolutely, there is a a responsibility and there is actually a a movement at an individual household level to get off gas. We're seeing some local councils like Marybeck Council in Victoria is doing great work to promote the benefits of of electrification through uh, adopting more solar and, um, and, uh, and appliance shifting as well. And there's a room really at a national level for, uh, for national organisations and potentially even the national government, federal government, to help to provide some guidance around uh, how, how to move away from the gas system.
0: You raise the issue of what we need are efficient electric options. How important is that, that word efficiency when it comes to the whole electrification of everything?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. It's, it's, it's almost shorthand in a way, but it's an important piece of shorthand. So people are familiar with what we call resistance electric appliances. They've been around for a long time. A, um, an electric heater uh, I- inside a room, uh, either a bar heater or a, convention he- uh, a convection heater, um, an electric cooktop, Um, an electric resistance cooktop, electric resistance water heaters that have a heating element. These work by simply providing, uh, where the electricity is used to provide a source of direct heat. When we talk about electric appliances, we're talking about appliances that, uh, efficient appliances, sorry. When we talk about efficient appliances, we're talking about ones that operate with a much greater amount of efficiency. That means they require a lot less electrical energy to be put in for what you get out and they don't work by using the electricity to generate heat directly. For water heating and for space heating, they use an external compressor, and the way that works is that the electricity is driving a what's called a phase change fluid, which is changing between uh, between, uh, water, between a liquid and a gas, and that is used to convey heat from the atmosphere into the uh, water, in the case of a water heater, or into the air inside a room, in the case of a space heater. And the beauty of those particular types of equipment is that they can produce three or four or five times as much heat energy as goes into operating the equipment itself. That's a really key benefit that these efficient electric appliances have over gas appliances, because the equivalent gas appliances can only ever be about 80 or 90% efficient at the most. They actually lose a portion of their energy to to the atmosphere, whereas these electric efficient appliances are effectively 300, 400, 500% efficient. The numbers are hard to get your head around, but a way of thinking of it is that for the energy from the gas appliance to achieve the same output, you're going to need five or four or five or six times as much energy mm. from that. And this, is, this goes to the issue of where when you hear a message from the gas businesses describing their fuel as clean because they're saying the gas at the gas outlet is cleaner than the electricity at the power point and in some states that's correct but what it misses is the point that the electric appliances use so much less fuel that it's vastly cleaner to use those electric appliances. Those are the space heating ones. The efficient electric option for cooking is called induction cooking. Uh, now, some people, a lot of people, love cooking with gas. I've got to admit, I'm I'm used to cooking with gas mm-hmm, myself. Me too. Um, in recent yeah, in recent years, um, what's become more available and lower cost is induction electric, which is a a more um, effective, efficient, and nicer way to cook than resistance electric.
0: Can you just explain the difference between resistive electric cooking as opposed to induction cooking?
1: Resistance electric cooking options are, are the ones where you're left with a you know horrible hot electric hot plate that's a burns risk for your kids and is generally um, not not so pleasant to cook with. Induction electric, the way it works is that it doesn't actually heat the plate itself or the air around it. It is actually applying the heat directly to the metal object that you're cooking in, which is the saucepan or the kettle or, or the flat-bottomed wok or, or whatever it might be. So a lot of people prefer induction cooking over gas. A lot of people who try induction cooking for the first time, uh, even who are rusted on gas lovers, do end up preferring induction to gas. Um, and so when we talk about the efficient option for electricity, we're also talking about something that's got at least as much user friendliness as as gas does because it's, let's be realistic, electric resistance cooking really sucks. (laughs) Gas cooking is much nicer than that. But um, electric induction cooking is definitely favored by a lot of people.
0: What you're outlining, Craig, uh, the need for a lot of choices by energy consumers and if we are going to electrify everything, there's a lot of information that everybody has to get their heads around there's so many choices that you have to make about an induction stove or a heat pump or et cetera, mm. every appliance. But also we are reliant on some of the people who are going to be installing some of these appliances. How do we all become more, I suppose, cognizant of the benefits of the, of electrification and the necessity of it? I mean, what are we gonna to do to ensure that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. and. You raise such a good point about the, the plumbers and the people who actually install and provide the appliances for us. The number of times I've spoken to people about um, about them installing a, a hot water service, which is for most people when they install a hot water service, it's, it's when the last one's failed and, and they've had enough cold showers already and they don't want to have to wait any longer and they'll, they'll they want take it now. the <laughs> that they're given. They want it now. And so it is often quicker to replace a system like with like. and we can give people good information to help them choose a better system but there are also a lot of plumbers out there who point out to issues that they've encountered or that they've heard of in relation to electric heat pumps for uh, water heating and talk people back into getting gas and to some extent those are well founded there have actually been some poor quality um, electric heat pumps out there that have had operational issues and broken down. And the reality is they have a lot of moving parts, so they do require more maintenance and they might require um, repairs. However, there are also really good quality ones out there that are really well made. Uh, And when consumers are getting the message from people like plumbers and and providers, that nuance is, is being lost. And as well as that, if you're a plumber today, chances are that you've installed 99 uh, gas water heaters for every one um, uh, electric um, heat pump that you've installed. It's what you're used to. It's what you're experienced with. So part of part of the, and, and what your question really does there is it touches on a whole part of the supply chain that really needs to be modernised as we modernise the electricity system. We need to train up um, new installers uh, from the start in in when they 're doing their apprenticeships to be aware and understand um, the nature of the differences between um, the different uh, appliances probably need to skill them up a bit on the difference between the difference in running costs because it 's not something that people learn when they do an apprenticeship is how to advise people on which appliances cost more or less to run, especially when they're looking at different fuel types like gas or electricity. There's a whole lot that needs to be done in the supply chain, including having um, different standards and having standards that are comparable between electric and gas appliances, um, whereby gas appliances are held to the same efficiency standards as electric, will automatically help self-select the less efficient gas appliances out of the equation. Because if, um, if those appliances are penalised or not able to be sold because they are so much less efficient than the appliances that, are, that people are better off with, um, then it, it makes that decision a lot easier.
0: The reality is Craig, we are struggling in Australia at the moment to get enough personnel to, to come in and do a basic electric job in a lot of areas of Australia how are we going to get the the personnel that we need to make this massive electrification transition and and also getting the actual appliances into the country because we rely on um, a supply chain from generally from overseas for most of our manufactured goods how how are we going to deal Mm. with this
1: yeah look there's a lot in this and uh in one of my roles i um i i co-chair of the New South Wales Renewable Energy Sector Board, which is which is looking at arrangements for local jobs and content for the New South Wales electric, Electricity Infrastructure Roadmap. And what we're seeing is that, you know, the, the days of global free trade, where you can assume just on time provision of, of the things that you need from overseas markets, those days are, are behind us. We've seen American policy um, and different Asian countries' policies uh, have see, um, seek to um, you know, use more of their own content uh, locally and to you know, use less of, of certain providers. We've seen the impact of everything from ships stuck in the Suez Canal to Russia's invasion of the Ukraine and the impact that those things have had on the cost of getting the, the, the components that we need and the actual appliances that we are used to buying. from from global markets. At the same time, Australia, like other countries, is on a huge mission to transform its entire energy system, and and therefore really its economy, into a low-carbon energy system. And that places huge demand on resources and jobs to build the renewable energy projects that we need and the new energy transmission systems that are going to connect those to the grid. what we really don't have yet is the local supply chains and the local employment that's going to take us through that particular transition. We're going to need to change, you know, be changing something in the order of hundreds of homes from gas to electric every day in the big states of Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland in particular. And we really don't have the, the workforce or the supply chains to support that. So. We really need governments to get behind programs to build the capacity and the competency and knowledge of uh, for, for appliance installers. Uh, we need to focus, I think, on local jobs and good jobs. Um, any jobs plan really needs to focus on First Nations jobs as well. And we need to have um, some support of local manufacture of electric appliances and, and really prioritising local content Uh, local raw content going into those as well.
0: Getting off gas though, Craig, involves obviously a cost. It's expensive, say, to switch from your gas heating through to a heat pump. They're not cheap, and going from a gas stove to an induction stove, which are more expensive, a lot of people who can afford to do that can can do it and will do it. What's going to happen if we don't give assistance to some of the other people who can't afford it?
1: It's a great question, and this is a big concern that we have at PIAC, which is there's this thing that's likely to occur. Uh, it's got a rather dramatic name called the death spiral. And the idea is that in the gas network, where people start to go off the gas network uh, because it's more cost-effective and for whatever reasons they're motivated to, that means that the remaining costs get recovered from a smaller and smaller base, which means that the cost of that system goes up for the people who remain connected to the gas network. Now, that does assume, and this is probably a topic to come back to later, that does assume that the gas networks themselves uh, aren't responsible, aren't exposed to that risk, and they do get to pass that all on to consumers. I think that is an open question, but nonetheless, When you do have that situation of the gas price going up and more people going off as a result, the people who are left on the gas network are usually, they're likely to be those who are most disadvantaged. They're the people on low incomes who can't afford the upfront cost of an electric efficient appliance that's cheaper than their gas appliance, even though it might save them more money in the long term. It's people in rentals who uh, don't choose their appliances and their landlord uh, is likely just to replace like with like at the time that an appliance fails it 's also people in high density housing where um, where the efficient electric options um, which are more expensive than the less efficient resistance based electric options uh, can 't necessarily be installed because they require uh, they require parts to be installed inside and outside of the building called heat Mm. pumps in the case of the bits that are outside the building. So what that means, and just to give a real example of that, if you want to have, say, electric hot water uh, or electric space heating, you can have a a heat pump hot water system or a um, a, a split system um, for for your space heating. They both need to have a component sitting outside the building. If you're in a high density apartment, you can't necessarily have that. So there are barriers for all of those people, those people in low income, those people who are renters and people in um, high density environments. A lot of homes uh, that are older in particular and have older electrics will need to be rewired, uh, particularly to accommodate induction cooktops and that can come at the expense of thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars for some homes for the rewiring alone. So these are all people who are going to be disadvantaged by the move away from gas and the policies and supporting measures uh, and incentives that are available really need to be targeted at those people to help them get off gas and where they can't or where they can't in the shorter term, Help to support their um, help to reduce their exposure to bill shock through the increasing cost of supplying gas.
0: the government announced some one billion dollars in low interest loans for householders to install solar panels and switch to electric hot water systems and and generally make homes more efficient. I, I, is that sufficient?
1: it's definitely part of the picture. So the way I like to think of it is you've kind of got three groups of appliances. in in a sense when it comes to electrification. You've got the appliances that are going to be cheaper to electrify in the long run. Some of those are going to be more expensive upfront because you'll be replacing it with say a $2,000 heat pump as opposed to a $1,000 gas heater. In the long run, um, it'll pay for itself through the savings but some people just don't have access to that upfront capital. Those people are gonna benefit from those loans that allow them to repay Their loans um, at the rate that they save energy. So they can borrow the money up front, not be worse off, and repay it through the savings. The second group of people, though, that I think we also need to consider, and particularly where they're vulnerable and disadvantaged, is the people where there is a bigger, and and the the appliances where there is a bigger net cost uh, in the long run. And what that means is. Particularly in those places where there is re rewiring required, or where someone is replacing uh, a pl- an appliance before it's failed, and therefore they're not saving the the, the cost of avoiding replacing it with another appliance, um, where those people are financially disadvantaged, there actually need to be supports that go beyond just um, just low in- L- low interest loads. loans. yeah. We're also going to have to address the the non-electrification friendly homes. So there are some where by virtue of the ha- by housing density, perhaps some strata arrangements, um, for whatever reason, they just might not be able to be electrified effectively. And we might have to have a tough discussion about, well, what does the supply of alternatives look for those people? Is it, is it going to be bottled gas? Because we, we're going to, at some stage, need to close down big parts of the gas network and that won't be able to supply people. So some of those people might need bottled gas. We might be in a position where, when there are only a few users hanging off that network, that we can use some renewable gas like biogas to meet their needs. Biogas is prohibitively expensive, but if we're reserving it for the really expensive to electrify cases, it might actually be more cost effective in those ways. And it might be that we need to look at subsidising complete rebuilding. It might be that some social and government housing, for example, needs to be and, and can be rebuilt to so it can accommodate um, electrification. And that will usually present the opportunity to in, uh, introduce some energy efficiency and other beneficial measures as well. So, you know, what we I think what's important to take away from that is there isn't going to be one solution that suits all appliances and suits all households in all areas we're going to need to have the funding we'll need to have the um uh, the loans and we'll need the subsidies and alternate measures as well
0: what you're really saying is that it's a it's a massive role for government to step up in order n- not only to provide some finance in, in different ways and rebates and subsidies and loans, but it's clearly a massive leadership role as well, isn't it?
1: It is. And, and they really governments will need to have really clear policy direction on this, especially at a time when you know, when the gas business, the gas sector is really digging their heels in. We saw APIA, mm. the um, peak body for uh, gas pipelines. Um, just release a new campaign where they're they're looking to promote the benefits of gas to the Australian economy and to the to the system. And you know the reality is that gas is used for a lot more things than just household energy use. Some of those are going to be harder and some easier than others to decarbonise. Uh, but, you know, the message that we hear from the gas industry is that, that they're not going down without a fight when it comes to electrifying exactly. households.
0: They're, they're not going down quietly at mm. all. You've said that electrification is, is happening, but you've argued that we can do it the smart way or we can do it the hard, slow, expensive way. What do we have to do first if we're going to do the smart way?
1: Oh look, to be honest, there's a lot that needs to be done and that's why I'd say it's smart, but not necessarily simple. <laughs> um, you know, the, what, what really needs to be done from the outset though, is that we need a plan, we need a strategy, we need a common goal held by governments, by industry, by consumers, by the market institution and others, that says, this is where we wanna to get to. And the sensible goal for that, the sensible place to get to, is one where we have have shifted all or most of the loads that are currently on the gas network onto, onto electricity. Once that's adopted at a policy level by governments, it can help inform decisions that are made by the energy market institutions in their regulation and rulemaking of the businesses, the electricity businesses and the gas businesses. Um, once the gas businesses have been put on notice, if you like, about what they can expect from the future, it will it'll, it'll give them no option but to plan for that future. And so the starting point really for, for doing it smarter has to be policies and, and decisions by uh, regulators and market institutions that, that lock in electrification as the future for, for gas use.
0: How close are we to getting that plan that you think we need?
1: At a national level? I don't think we're quite close yet. At a state-by-state level, we're certainly seeing some promising developments. We've seen the ACT government uh, really put some, um, uh, put some deadlines on, on mm. when they won't accept new gas connections and with a goal of getting off gas uh, in the, altogether in the next couple of decades. Um, we're seeing some similar developments uh, direction coming out of, um, or starting to come out of say the Victorian government for example. Um, it, there is a bit of a sense though that it will be inevitable, I mean we're seeing um, the gas industry itself has been fighting very hard for about 10 years now to uh, maintain its relevance and to push back against this existential threat that, it, that this poses to their, um, to their business model and, and their assets. Um, but they're just really trying to buy time and none of what the gas industry is putting forward as a solution is really likely to be effective in, um, in delaying the inevitable uh, electrification of, of the gas uh, loads.
0: You've touched on issues about the, the grid. There's no point in going all electric if the power that comes from the grid isn't provided by renewable sources. How are we going on that front?
1: Mm. Firstly, the good news is when it comes to electrifying, um, for the reason I mentioned before about the far greater level of efficiency mm. and far greater bang for your buck that you get out of efficient electric appliances, it actually does still make sense even if you even before the grid is one hundred percent decarbonised. So, if you look at the different states of the national energy market, which is the which is the sort of eastern part of Australia, um, you've still got pretty carbon intensive generation in Queensland, New South Wales, and Victoria, slowly changing. Um, But in South Australia, we've seen a lot of renewables being installed. And if we're not there yet, then we're almost at the point where um, in South Australia, um, on a like-for-like basis, the emissions intensity of um, energy from the electricity grid is probably not uh, much more intensive, if at all, not more carbon intensive than gas from the from the gas grid there. Because of efficient appliances operating so much more efficiently though, even in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, those more efficient electric appliances are probably still lower emissions than the gas equivalents. So I would say, yeah, there is a point doing it even before we decarbonise.
0: You're listening to the Switched On Australia podcast, where we track the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. And my guest today is Craig Memory, Senior Energy Advisor at the Public Interest Advocacy Centre. Now, the all-electric transition can also give consumers more control over our energy consumption – By generating our own energy from solar or storing it in batteries, consumers can control where we get energy from and manage the cost to some extent, especially if we have an energy management system that provides real-time data on our energy use.
1: Electrification definitely gives more control back to people and it does it in a few ways. It it does, as we've discussed, it allows them to, um, to reduce their costs and... We talked about um, aligning, uh, you know, when you use your heat, your, your water heater with when there's surplus solar, for example. Um, there, there are already, and there will be at a wider scale, um, options that allow for more sophistication so that you can capitalise on when, say, the energy wholesale price is lower. Now, you don't need to know what that is or when it is because those devices will be automated. There's a common misconception that to make use of the flexibility of these appliances. People are going to have to be huddled over an app waiting for the wholesale price to hit $1,000 a megawatt hour and then press a button. <laughs> the reality is most of it will be automated. Most people don't have an appetite for being complete energy geeks and um, you know watching over there. I know I certainly don't, and I, I live and breathe energy, and I really couldn't be bothered watching an app to see what price my wholesale energy supply is at a certain moment. Um, Yeah, most of the stuff will be automated and automated to to provide benefit to both the user and to the wider system and therefore other energy users as well. But for the people who do really want to get involved um, and do have that appetite for really taking taking control of their own energy usage, they can opt in to an energy retail product where they're even exposed to that wholesale price in, in real time. And make decisions about when they do and don't use energy, particularly for those flexible loads like their hot water and like their electric vehicles.
0: One final question, Craig: How hopeful are you that we can make this massive transition in time? It's what you've outlined is a it's a massive move. Can, can we do it?
1: Look, it's a great question. Um, some would argue that we, we're already out of time. You know, if, if the framing that we're using is around climate change, we need to do everything 10 years ago. To be optimistic though, uh, I'm really hopeful that in the, the 10 or more years I've been looking at electrification, it's really emerged as, um, as a more popular and more widely known idea. In much the same way that 20 years ago, there weren't many people putting solar on their roofs, and now, you know, something like one in three or one in four households have solar on the roof. It's, it's, I think we're getting to that point, I don't think that point is far away, where it becomes a standard decision that people make. And when you look back historically at, at comparable changes, we don't have landline phones now. But 30 years ago, I don't think anyone who had a landline phone would have thought that they were going to be without. When I say we don't have landline phones, obviously there are some, mm. but a, a lot of households don't have them. Uh, a lot of people don't use them. Uh, you know, go back further. We used to have gas street lighting, mm. and you know, uh, it was when when street lighting was electrified, the gas businesses then also pushed back quite hard because they didn't want their you know their gas street lights to be closed down. The reality is that you can only keep better ideas away for so long. And I think we're at a point where the conventional wisdom is starting to shift to understand what those better ideas are when it comes to choosing between gas and electricity.
0: Better ideas, that's what we need. Craig Memory, thanks so much for joining the Switched On podcast.
1: No problem. Thanks so much for having me. Craig
0: Memory is the Senior Advisor on Energy for the Public Interest Advocacy Centre. And Craig and I have put together a list of myths about electrification, which you can find on the Switched On website under the Mythbusters section. Check it out along with some other tall tales that we bust. Next time on Switched On Australia, I'll be talking to John Judson about his recent electrification journey. John has been a leader in energy and carbon management for over 40 years, and he's CEO of Race for 2030. He's also a chemical engineer with a master's in energy technology, so you'd think he'd find electrifying his house pretty straightforward. Quite the reverse. He found it slower and harder than he expected. Join me then to hear how he managed the challenges. I'm Anne Delaney. See you next time.